as we turn again tonight to the subject of sharing uh, the Lord Jesus Christ with those who know him not. Uh, Father, we just pray that you would open our minds and our hearts. Father, give us a compassion for the lost. Give us a desire to glorify Christ. Father, just give us an awareness of what is ours by grace alone, so totally undeserved, and of what those outside of Christ know nothing of. Father, would you fire us, would you enthuse us, would you challenge us, would you empower us? And Father, would you just help us to be submissive and obedient to your word and your will? In Jesus' name. Amen. Just repeat, uh, said at the start of this series, really, that the uh, intention of this is to keep it really simple. Uh, We we chose a, a simple title for the overall series, you know, just speaking about Jesus to others. Uh, the idea is this is for everyone who's a Christian it doesn't matter whether you've been a Christian a couple of days or, or many many years this isn't talking about evangelists in quotes those who've got particular um, gifts of the Holy Spirit to do this work this is each and every one of us uh, talking to others about the Lord Jesus Christ now I did say last time that we would move on this time to look at and I want to do it through looking at um, various examples of sharing the gospel in scripture at what the essential elements are Having said that last week, in the week, four nights ago, um, during that following week, um, I was convicted that really we needed to spend one more week on motives for it because I realised that I'd, I would otherwise be leaving you short, which wouldn't be a good thing, would it? We've looked at the first, the primary motive, the glory of God, and that's got to be first. That's got to be our primary goal in sharing Christ with other people in anything. Whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God. <coughs> The second week, remember, we looked at uh, the saving of souls and return of Jesus Christ. Now, if we would have stopped there, we would have covered three of the most important reasons. However, I did spot the flaw in if we stopped there, and that is this. We would have looked at the most important reason, the glory of God, and you could say, well, okay, that's what God gets out of it. We would have looked at saving of souls, where you could say, well, that's what others get out of it. We can look at speeding the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, okay, well, that's what God gets out of it. What's in it for me? Now there's a sense of course in which if we ask that question that's a very wrong question to ask but there is a sense in which it's a very right question to ask. God commands us over and again in scripture doesn't he to do things for him to delight in him to serve him gladly and so on but he never does it without giving us good reasons to do so. He promises amazing rewards he promises all sorts of blessings if we serve him gladly. And for me to have stopped there and people to go and say, okay, well, I've got to do it. I've got to do it for the glory of God and I've got to do it to save others. Wish I was getting something out of this. You're going to be missing something wonderful because there is blessing for the Christian in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. So I want us to look tonight, really, why share the gospel? Obedience, conscience and reward. The first of those I want us to look at is this. I speak out of obedience. What do you do with the commands of Scripture? I remember Stuart Briscoe preaching once and saying that he'd asked his question at a meeting, what do you do with the commands of Scripture? He meant it fairly rhetorical, but a little old lady put her hand up and said, I underline them in blue. And he said, well, that's great, maybe that is what you do in your Bible with the commands of Scripture. That wasn't the answer I was looking for. The answer I was looking for is I obey them. That's what God's put commands in Scripture for, hasn't he? So that we will obey them. Just listen to a couple. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, some of the most famous, if not the most famous, verses in Scripture concerning evangelism. 
Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. It's one of the most famous, isn't it, and frequently quoted commands of Jesus an absolutely essential element of that is to speak about Jesus, isn't it? How can you make disciples of all nations if you don't speak about Jesus Christ? It's an impossibility. Absolutely key to making a disciple of someone is to speak to them first about Jesus. They can't be saved without hearing about him. They they can't come to Christ, they can't come to repentance and faith unless you talk to them, engage with them, talking to them about the person of Jesus Christ and the claim of Christ upon their life and their need of Christ. Do you remember when Peter and John were commanded not to speak anymore about the name, about Jesus? Acts 4.19, we read their reply, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I I sort of wonder if in their minds when they said that they were thinking back to those words of Jesus to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I guess that was still ringing in their ears. And here they are now being told by man that they mustn't speak about Jesus. And what's their response? You tell me, what should we do? Are we to obey man or are we to obey God? God has spoken. That's what they're saying, isn't it? God has spoken and God has commanded and his command is that we should speak about Jesus. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've said it before, haven't we? Your testimony is what God has given you to share with others. You know, a, a testimony is not saying God's given you to sort of say, that's wonderful, I've got a testimony now, I can... I can lock that up and keep that in a little box, that's mine. You know, or I can write it out and every week I can read it again and remind myself what my testimony is. God's given you your testimony so that you can share it with other people, hasn't he? he? He's given you something that you can speak firsthand about God to others. You're not just telling them about what you've read, you're not just telling them about what you've learned, you're not just telling them about what you've been taught, you're telling them about a God you know. You're talking to them about the Lord Jesus Christ who you have a personal relationship with. That is your testimony. 1 Peter 3.15 Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That's, That's a command of scripture, isn't it? Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that you have. If you can't say anything else, if if you're young in the faith and you haven't yet learnt very much doctrine and I'd encourage you to press on with that quickly and and as well as you can but you say, well I can't go into depths of doctrine and and I, I can't get into scientific debate and I can't do this and I can't do that. You can do this. You can tell them about what you know of Jesus. You can tell them what Jesus has done for you and and they can put up all the arguments they like but they can't take away from you the truth of what God has done for you, can they? 
John 9.25 do you remember there's this man who was, blown, who was blind and Jesus healed him and the Pharisees tried to trap him they wanted him to deny that it was the power of Jesus they wanted him to deny that this man had performed this amazing miracle and they tried to get him to play it down and they sort of effectively threatened him that he'd be cut off from social life and from the synagogue and everything else and his parents as well do you remember what his reply is John 9.25 he replied speaking of Jesus Christ whether he is a sinner or not I don't know one thing I do know I was blind but now I see isn't that an amazing statement in effect he's saying look I don't know the theology of this I can't answer questions I, I, I can't tell you whether this man's a sinner or not I don't, I don't know much about him I, 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 don't, I can't answer these things and it's probably fear as much as anything else driving him to answer in that way because he's scared stiff of these people he's standing up in front of they're the great religious leaders of his day he says I can't answer your theological questions about him like that but I know this I was blind and now because of what he has done to me I can see and my friend we can all say that can't we if we're Christians if we can't answer all their questions we can say this look before I became a Christian this is what I was and now by the grace of God this is what I am he calls me to see he opened my eyes he, he gave me to see what a wretch I was what a sinner I was he gave me to see that I had no hope he gave me to see that I was under his judgement he gave me to see that I was going to spend an eternity in hell he gave me to see that I had no claim upon his forgiveness or his love or anything else and he saved me he just came by his, his, the work of his grace into my life and he has transformed me I now know that my sins are forgiven I now know that I've got a home in heaven I now know that I've got a father who loves me I know that as far as the east is from the west my sins are separated from me never to be held against me again I know that my redeemer lives I know that with my own eyes I will see him I was blind but now I see we can all say that and that's what we're commanded to do to speak about the one who has transformed us my friend what did Jesus warn Mark 8.38 if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his father's glory with the holy angels and I know that is talking there specifically primarily about salvation it's talking about if you're ashamed to associate with Christ and be saved then you're going to hell you're lost without hope but let's just take it first in the sense of you being a Christian is that how you want Christ to view you that he's ashamed of you? is that how you want God to think of you? I'm ashamed of that child of mine there who will never speak to anyone else about me that child of mine who I've given everything for and who I've done everything for that child who has taken it all gratefully, gladly and yet is too ashamed to speak of me to someone else is that how you want God to view you? we do it as Christians in obedience to God he has commanded us, he has charged us with speaking about Christ to those who know him not we also do it in obedience to the gospel 
not only as Christians are we commanded to do it, but being a Christian, part of being a Christian is to speak to others about Christ. You can't escape it. It's not just what we do in response to being Christians, it's part of being a Christian. We've already quoted those verses there and primarily there, the, the, what Jesus is saying is there is if you're ashamed to mean you don't talk to others about Christ, you're not a Christian. It pulls into question your whole claim to know Christ. He puts it even plainer in Matthew 10.32 Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do you see what he's saying? Speaking about Christ is not optional. Speaking about Christ isn't something that we're just called to do or even just commanded to do. Speaking about Christ is part of what we are. If we're Christians, we speak about Christ. It is part of the proof of the fact that we are Christians. It's part of that who I am. To say I am a Christian is to I am one who follows Christ I am one who associates with Christ I am one who, who identifies with Christ listen to Romans 10.9 these must have been one of the first verses I ever learnt as a child there were good things weren't there in those days when you had so many choruses set to tunes so you learnt the song and in learning the song you learnt the verse Romans 10.9 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. We present the gospel in lots of different ways, don't we? And scripture does. There are lots of different places where it identifies different things that are essential to being a Christian that make up what a Christian is. Here in Romans 10.9, what, what are the two things? That you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and with your mouth you confess Jesus Christ. And I know we do that first and publicly in baptism when we're saved we, we, we stand up and, and we profess that Jesus is Lord but it doesn't just mean that it's not just talking about a once off profession in front of people it is part of being a Christian that we profess with our mouth the Lordship of Jesus Matthew Henry comments on that verse openly professing relation to him and dependence on him as our Prince and Saviour owning Christianity in the face of all the allurements and affrightments of this world, standing by him in all weathers, our Lord Jesus lays a great stress upon this confessing of him before men. It is the product of many graces, evinces a great deal of self-denial, love to Christ, contempt of the world, a mighty courage and resolution. It is a very great thing, especially when the profession of Christ or Christianity hazards estate, honour, preferment, liberty, life and all that is dear in this world which was the case in the primitive times and he's right isn't he it's no little thing to stand up and say Jesus is Lord I remember being told of a Chinese Christian who was touring Britain um, who'd come out of great persecution in China and at one of the meetings uh, he said can I just say he said, a number of Christians have come up to me after uh, the meetings and have said, uh, Brother, we're, just want you to know, we're, we're praying for persecution over here because we really believe persecution refines the church. He said, um, you know, and they're saying that that's what they're praying for. He said, and I, my reply to them is simply this, you don't need to pray for it. Just open your mouth and tell people that Jesus is Lord and the persecution will follow. 
It's not an easy thing to do, is it? It's not a light thing to do, but it's who we are. We are those who proclaim the Lordship of Christ and who share the Gospel with those who know him not. The fifth reason in total, the second one tonight, is this. I speak because of conscience. What do I mean by that? I simply mean this. Do you want a clear conscience before God and before man? Isn't that what we desire so much as Christians? That the day I meet Jesus, I will not feel ashamed. The day he looks at me, the day I actually stand before him and he looks into my eyes, I will have nothing to feel ashamed of. Isn't that, isn't that your greatest longing? Isn't it your greatest longing when you go to sleep at night that, that you've no reason to feel ashamed with God? Now I know that before God every person is answerable for their own sin. Scripture makes that abundantly clear. It will be no excuse for anyone on judgment day to say, but I knew a Christian and they never shared the gospel with me. That's why I'm not saved. It's their fault, not mine. That just will not hold water. No one will be able to stand before Almighty God and say, my sin is not my fault, it is somebody else's. But having said that, how do you feel about the idea that someone should be able to stand before Christ and say, but I knew that person. They were a Christian. And they never told me how I could be saved. They, they never told me what I needed to do. They never explained to me that I was going to hell. They never made me understand how horrific hell was going to be. Why, why didn't they speak? I mean, I mean, would you feel comfortable if that was true of you? Or, or bring it into this lifetime. Do you really like the idea that maybe when someone is dying you're going to have to go and visit them on their deathbed and try and share the gospel with them then? Because that's so often what it comes down to, isn't it? That in all the years you've known them and all the opportunities you've had, you've never shared it with them and now they're dying and they're in real pain and they're struggling to cope with everything else. On top of that, you feel that you've got to go there and, and as it were, burden them, and I say it in, in the sense that I'm trying to explain it, pouring all of this onto them when you could have shared it with them years before in, in a much easier setting for them to cope with. I mean, don't hesitate to do it. That's their last chance. But you really want to leave it till you've got to do it then or worse, till they drop dead and then you've got to live with the knowledge for the rest of your life that you never shared it with them? I can't be the only one here this evening who knows of people who've died who I never shared the gospel with. Maybe I didn't know them well, but people I've known. And some died young. I remember a guy who I worked with at... Um, in Cambridge. I didn't know him at all. The only occasion I, I actually, we were in different buildings, we were totally no point of connection, apart from the fact I was in the canteen one day and he had an epileptic fit. I didn't even know he was epileptic. I, I just saw him, eyes turn up, killed over, crushed his head on the radiator, blood pouring everywhere and I ran over and um, got him in a safe position, got his tongue out of the way and sort of tried to hold him off the radiator, getting covered in blood uh, until they got one of the medics and he was taken to hospital he came back to work a couple of weeks later and found me out to thank me for what I'd done I thought I must share the gospel with him and about a week later he died he uh, didn't turn up for work and someone went to his house and uh, he'd uh, choked on his tongue in the middle of the night in an epileptic attack 
I never shared the gospel with him. Never did it. And I've got to live with the knowledge of that the rest of my life. And I guess we could all, every one of us, think back to people, not people we've known well, not close people, but people that we could have spoken to. And we haven't done it. We do it for the sake of conscience. And there are some amazing verses in the Bible. Just listen to part of what Michael read to us earlier. Acts 20, verse 20. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. What a statement to be able to make. Paul says, I've been sent all around this area and I've gone everywhere and I've spoken to Jew and I've spoken to Gentile and I haven't failed to make plain to them what they need to know. So that he can carry on in verse 25. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Isn't that an amazing thing to be able to say? Paul can say, I can stand here and look you straight in the eye and say I am totally innocent of the blood of all men because I haven't failed to preach the whole counsel of God without distortion, without omission, without compromise. I've just said it as it is. Everywhere I've been, to everyone I've had opportunity to speak to. He doesn't mean he's spoken to literally every human being in that area. We know of at least two occasions where he wanted to take the gospel in somewhere and the Holy Spirit stopped him. Uh, He's not saying that. He's saying on every opportunity, everyone I had the chance to, I shared the gospel with them and I taught them the truth and as they were saved, I counselled them and I shared with them all that God teaches in his word and I've I've done it without compromise. I've done it without distortion. I've done it faithfully. Therefore, as God knows my heart, I'm innocent of their blood. If they've rejected it, that's on them. If they've ignored it, that's on them. I have discharged my duty before God. I don't know about you, but that's my prayer, that when I come to the end of my life, as Paul knows, he's coming to the end of his year, I'd be able to say those words. Isn't that yours? That as you draw towards that day when you know this lifetime is closing and you're coming towards the point where you're going to stand before Almighty God, covered by the grace of God if you're a Christian, your sin taken away from you as far as from the east is from the west, but to know that when you stand there before Jesus, you'll feel no shame, no guilt, that you've done what he put you here on this planet to do. And you've done it well. So he can say in Romans 15:19. so from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. I've been too much Welsh over the last week. I've started to get the Welsh now and I'm losing the... I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Isn't that amazing? All the way around, he says, where the gospel has taken me, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. I speak out of obedience, I speak out of conscience and the last reason I want us to look, I speak for reward. Isn't it wonderful how God promises us, promises us 
reward in scripture over and over again for doing only what he enables us to do in the first place and for what should be just a joy for us to do in the first place I mean why should we want reward for sharing the gospel with other people if we've been saved if God's grace has touched us if we've got everything in Christ Jesus for this lifetime and for eternity how can we be quiet how can we not want to share it with others and God says on top of that I'm going to give you the wherewithal to do it the resources to do it my spirit indwelling you to do it I'm going to give you everything you need and on top of that I'm going to reward you when you do it some amazing rewards spoken of in scripture isn't there I guess perhaps the greatest is for those who are martyred for Christ those who've got that place before his throne as theirs but what about those who speak of Christ and lead others to Christ Daniel 12 verse 3 those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever isn't that amazing Daniel 12.3 those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever Spurgeon said on that verse to be a winner of souls is a glorious attainment I'd need to be wise if I'm to turn even one to righteousness much more if I'm to turn many oh for the knowledge of God of men of the word and of Christ which will enable me to convert my fellow men and to convert large numbers of them. I would give myself to this and never rest till I accomplish it. This will be better than winning stars at court. This will make me a star, a shining star, a star shining forever and ever. Yea, more, it will make me shine as many stars. My soul arise thyself. Lord, quicken me. We might express it differently in our generation but the thought would be the same, isn't it? What a, what a joy to do that we might shine like stars in the heavens for the whole of eternity. My friend, we do it for his glory first and foremost. We do it for the saving of souls. We do it to speed the return of Jesus Christ but we do it out of obedience we do it that we might have a clear conscience and we do it for the reward that will be ours when we see Jesus. We're going to sing two songs.